Howdy, this is Dave Hill, and this is issue 54 of Dave Does the Comics. This is my monthly comic book review podcast, recorded on... November 2nd, 2013. I am not a comic book industry insider. I am not a literature or art major, but I know what I like, and this is my podcast to unpretentiously tell you what that is. Hey, what happened to the October podcast, you may say? September happened, and then October. Next thing you know, here we were, beginning of November. Sorry about the gap. A bit more about that and a few other things at the end of the podcast. Meanwhile... Let's look at the comics. I'm skipping all the graphic novels and trade paperbacks I read over these last two months to focus on the monthly issues. There is method to my madness here. Marvel! Okay, Marvel, come here a minute. You know, I do enjoy crossovers, but not all crossovers all the time. Maybe a big summer event, or a holiday event, or if you're going to do a couple of events, at least run them separately. But no, all of the X-Books nearly have been sucked up for two or three months on Battle of the Atom, and all of the Avengers books nearly have been sucked up for two or three months on Infinity, which in theory makes for some intricate storytelling and grand epic sagas, but it also means that individual concerns of the titles involved get put on standby, making them less interesting and more just cogs in the corporate publishing machine. Worse, for folks who might be wanting to try out something who've heard about these X-Men or the Avengers. Hey, weren't those movies? They're going to be scared off by, wait, I have to buy all these books to get the story? Heck, if you're only just a fan of, say, all-new X-Men, how long before you throw up your hands and give up because your only choice is to either buy all the X-Books or end up with a fractional story month after month after month? One kudo I will give Marvel for their Battle of the Atom, at least. They've given a sequence number for the series on the cover, so you can easily figure out what you're supposed to read next. Infinity has had a checklist or map inside toward the back, but it's not nearly as useful or readable. So, Marvel's got two big crossovers going on. Um, let's talk about the, the Marvel titles in general. And we'll start with A plus X, number 13 from Marvel. Gary Dugan writing, David Yarden on the art. Uh, Captain America and Cyclops. Now, this has been an uneven but overall enjoyable title, usually carrying two back-to-back team-up tales done in one that have varied from the silly to the, wow, I wish they'd play on that aspect of that character in the real book. This issue of A Plus X shifts to having an ongoing six-parter in the primary role of the title, which could be fun, except this is just a plain stupid story, as Cyclops and Captain America get kidnapped by Skrulls to warn them of a new Skrull incursion on Earth, the the ever-popular and kind of stupid Skrull Cadre X, Cadre K, I should say, mutant team, and then these two leaders of men, these role models for their followers, these tactical geniuses and inspirations start fighting. Yes, really, it's it's stone-cold stupid and as unrealistic as the other times in the past few years that Cap or Psyche have acted like idiots. And at that, it seems like Psyche is the relatively calm one here, while Cap comes off more like Wolverine on a bad day. Blah. Howard Jacob backup's tale with Black Widow and Emma Frost is bittersweet amusement, but it doesn't wash the stench of stupid off the primary and ongoing story. One star. Um, you know, I'm very much in considering dropping this title, just if I'm going to have to go through six months of this. 
Uh, something a little bit better, Astonishing X-Men number 167, excuse me, number 67, from Marvel, Marjorie Liu with Amal Carpina on the art. Um, I inadvertently started reading this book a while back. There was something on one cover that that made me uh, wanted to do it, and, and while Liu tends to go kind of YA, emo, melodrama, soap opera way too often, um, I enjoyed this issue a lot. Even though it fits right in with this description. Uh, a young girl is stuck in a little rural town, dreaming of how cool the X-Men are, and then they come to her town and she gets sucked into an adventure with them. It sounds horrible, but Leo handles it all, handles all the emotional beats perfectly. Enough to conjure a little tear to the eye, in fact. Well done, ma'am. Uh, the cover by Chris Peter makes me laugh each time I see it as well. Sadly, or not, depending on how you felt about this title, uh, number 68, the one after this, was the final issue of Astonishing X-Men. So, um, they're churning the X-Men books and giving them all different titles again. Um, I kind of lose interest in that. Uh, let's move on to uh, four stars for that, by the way. I liked it a lot. Captain America number 11 from Marvel. Rick Remender on the writing, Carlos Pacheco on the art, A Fire in the Rain. Remender continues his look at a Captain America once more being a man out of time. In this instance, having spent a subjective decade in another dimension and dealing with the death of both his longtime on and off again girlfriend and his adopted son. Remender's playing a tricky game here, especially with Cap's decision at the end of the comic. It's always hard to tell how much a protagonist's actions represent what the writer thinks is right versus what the writer thinks the character is being driven by. Is Cap making a realization about what he needs to do to proceed with his life, or is he making bad decisions while suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome? Uh, will we ever know? I don't know, but I gave it four stars. I liked it a lot. Fearless Defenders, number nine from Marvel. Cullen Bunn writing Will Slaney on the art. Now, there is another issue out, issue 10, after this, but I wanted to call this one out for a clever twist. Now, the Defenders is, uh, at this point, an all-woman team, and this issue features all of the women's past or present boyfriends uh, gathering together for what can only be called a chivalrous intervention. Um, it's hilarious times, and at the same moment acknowledges some relationships that otherwise get lost in the rush. It shows connections between characters while turning the female sidekick, let alone the girlfriend who gets fridged, meme on its ear. Uh, the Clea Doctor Strange stuff alone is worth the price of admission. Four stars. I liked it a lot. Mighty Avengers, number two from Marvel. Al Lewing writing Greg Land on the pencils. Uh, an unfortunate tie-in to the Infinity event. This is an oddball assemblage of mostly kind of former Avengers. Um, it's great to see Luke Cage back in action again, whatever the reason. I've never much cared for Monica Rambeau, and her new Spectrum moniker doesn't add to that. Uh, Superior Spider-Man doesn't quite fit in here for a variety of reasons, and all the other mysterious members of this impromptu Avengers group don't seem very interesting, to be honest. All of this against the backdrop of Thanos invading the Earth and his minions apparently releasing Elder Gods, I kid you not. Um, I'm withholding judgment as to the long-term health of this series, but I'll be reading it for the moment. Uh, three stars. I liked it. New Avengers, number 11, from Marvel. Jonathan Hickman writing Mike Diodato on the art. Builders. 
Hickman does his conspiratorial darndest to shoehorn his new Avengers Illuminati versus the intruding Earths they must destroy plotline in with one of the many, many, too, too many threads of his own Infinity Event items. Um, the result is interesting, but in the end, far too busy to remember which Earth-shattering threat is being dealt with at a given moment. The intruding Earths, the galactic invasion, or Thanos and his crew. Um, three stars. I liked it, but I would have probably liked each of those pieces better. Superior Foes of Spider-Man, number four from Marvel. Nick Spencer writing, Steve Lieber on the art. Everyone's writing a criminal caper book these days, it seems, and Spencer's Superior Foes does an enjoyable, workmanlike job of it, focusing on a bunch of unsuperior rogues gallery minor hitters in the Spider-Verse, Beetle, Speed Demon, Shocker, Overdrive, Boomerang, and so forth, and their attempts to band together, earn some respect, and maybe make some money doing so. It's fun, and the touches that remind you that these guys really are bad guys, even if lovable schlubs at the same time, are quite nice. Three stars. I'm liking it. X-Men Battle of the Atom, number two from Marvel. Jason Aaron writing Esad Ribic and Giuseppe Comuncoli on the pencils, although there are a dozen other combos of names for the various epilogues, and the cover, in fact, had different names altogether, which is kind of funny. This is episode 10 and final of the Battle of the Atom event, which started out kind of interesting and turned into a hot mess of mutant-on-mutant fights by the end of the thing. Which is a crying shame. Uh, at any rate, the bad guys are more or less defeated. The good guys, the ones that survive, which is pretty much all the important ones from the present and the past at least, win, sorta. And then there's that shocking ending at the end with Kitty Pride, which felt more than a bit out of the blue and more than a bit, ooh, let's tweak the status quo and the ongoing Bendis X titles kind of thing. Ah, uh, ho-hum. Uh, not a bad comic to read overall, but so much less than how things started and even how they could have gone. A lot more tease than reality. Three stars, I liked it. Young Avengers, number 11, from Marvel. Kieran Gillen writing, Jamie McElvey on the pencils. Stage nervous breakdown. Ah, uh, the teen soap opera, the interdimensional horror, the relationship and trust issues drama, all of these continue. But the biggest event in this issue is the end of Lil Loki, which will be pretty controversial in some circles, but I'm curious to see where Gillen takes it all next. Uh, fun times on a fun comic. Four stars, I liked it a lot. Some quickie reviews. One star, did not like. Savage Wolverine, number nine. Two stars, merely mediocre okay. FF, number 12. Captain Marvel, number 16. Three stars, Avengers, number 22. Avengers AI, number 5. Avengers Assemble, number 20. Avengers Arena, number 16. Cable and the X-Force, number 15. Daredevil, number 32. Fantastic Four, number 13. Guardians of the Galaxy, number 8. Indestructible Hulk, number 14. Infinity Heist, number 2. Infinity the Hunt, number 3. Ultimates, number 30. Uncanny Avengers, number 13. Uncanny X-Men, number 13. Wolverine, number 10. Wolverine and the X-Men, number 37. Four stars, I liked a lot. Uh, Hawkeye, number 13. Iron Man, number 17. Nova, number 9. Powers Bureau, Marvel Icon Imprint, number 7. Thor, God of Thunder, number 14. Superior Spider-Man, number 20. And Uncanny X-Men, I didn't finish writing that one down, I don't, so I don't know what number that is. Meanwhile, over on the DC side of things, DC's Villains Unleashed Forever Evil thing is still lurching along, complete with lenticular covers for their retitled comics, at least in uh, September. Uh, each of their regular titles, instead of 
being their regular title, got an appropriate arch-villain on the cover and the title and inside. These turn out to be like 99% origin stories, which, after a while, got pretty old, especially when so many of them were basically just an excuse to take old origin stories, often completely redo them, but whether bearing any resemblance to previous origins or not, mixed with many, many large buckets of blood. Yuck. Um, something that doesn't match that is the first one on my list here, uh, the Sandman Overture, number one from DC Vertigo. Um, I'm not sure why that ended up here in the alphabetical list. I must have put it in the wrong way. Anyway, Sandman Overture number one. Neil Gaiman writing, J.H. Williams the second on the art. Uh, this is a typically lovely book as a product from two amazing creators. The story starts off slow, as these things often do, and confusing, ditto ditto. Uh, we get Dream on a planet of intelligent flowers, we have encounters between destiny and death, saying cryptic things to each other, we have a ton of encounters with the charmingly lethal Corinthian, and we have an assemblage of dreams? Uh, to quote the protagonist, what? It's not all that and a bag of chips, but I'm sure it will be by the time it's all over. Four stars. I liked it a lot. Fables, number 134, also from DC Vertigo. Bill Willingham on the writing, Mark Buckingham on the pencils. Deeper into the woods. This is an interlude issue, focusing on the big bad wolf and what kind of afterlife he's found himself in, and who he meets there. Uh, by parts touching, intriguing, and poignant, it won't mean anything to anyone who hasn't been reading this title, but a lot to those who have. Also, a truly lovely cover by Mark Buckingham. Four stars. I liked this one a lot, too. Not quite so much was Hinterkind, number one, a DC Vertigo, Ian Edgington on the writing, Francesco Trifogli on the art, once Upon a Time, Chapter 1. It's our world in the near future, after a magical backlash from Mother Nature, apparently nearly wiped out humanity, which now lives in small enclaves trying to maintain their tech and their lives, while flora and fauna, mundane and magical, thrive around them. It's not great stuff, but it's good, and I enjoy the first issue quite a bit. Also, nice cover. Three stars, I liked it. Lobo, or, as we also know it, Justice League number 23.2 from DC. Marguerite Bennett writing, Ben Oliver with Cliff Richards on the art, The Last Paycheck. So I mentioned all of these uh, origin story DC's Villain Unleashed uh, issues. This was one of them, and I'll call this out as one of the few Villains Unleashed crossovers that I actually enjoyed, if only because the rebooted Lobo is actually a lot more interesting a character than the old main man, who, interestingly enough, is still around and apparently using Lobo's good name. It's zany in a sociopathic kind of way. Um, I have really no desire to read a new Lobo series, but this standalone, done-in-one origin background tale was a cut above the normal Villains Unleashed direct from DC, so credit where credit is due. Three stars. I liked it. Uh, following that, Justice League number 24 from DC. Jeff Johns writing even Ivan Rice on the pencils. Forever Strong. This is part of the Forever Evil goings-on imprint thing in DC. This issue uh, retelling the origin of Ultraman, who's the Earth-3 evil equivalent of Superman, and, in this version, much closer to the original than he used to be in sort of an evil bizarro kind of way. That and how he coordinates the takeover of Earth-1 makes for some entertaining reading. Rice's drawing is lovely, even if he had to deal with a lot of little teeny tiny panels and big dialogue boxes as dictated by Johns. Uh, three stars. I liked it. 
Not so much with Supergirl, number 24, also from DC. Michael Allen Nelson writing Diogenes Neves on the pencils. Death becomes her. I don't know precisely where this title became so goofy and dreary at the same time. Actually, I do know. It's when they dragged Kara off Earth and made her just one more superhero in space. Removing the whole fish-out-of-water idea and allowing for a lot more planet-shattering kabooms. Dumb and on the cut list. Uh, one star. I just didn't like it. And haven't for a few issues. Um, some quicker reviews. Two stars. Uh, they were okay. Batgirl, number 24. Birds of Prey, number 24. Earth 2, number 16. All those probably, not, probably on the cutting block. Uh, at least as far as I'm concerned. Uh, three stars. Batwoman, number 24. Ferrist, uh, DC Vertigo imprint, number 20. Justice League of America, number 8. Justice League Dark, number 24. Wonder Woman, number 24. World's Finest, number 16. And from other publishers. Okay, a lot of these are actually uh, Image. We'll start off with America's Got Powers, number 7 of 7. Image, as I said, Jonathan Ross writing, Brian Hitch on the art. Um, this title has taken way too long to get to a fairly grinding and not terribly interesting end, as the challenge of exploited and then rebellious superpowered teens comes to a merciful close. Um, maybe it will read better in trade paperback, but I ended up really being disappointed by this issue. Um, two stars, it was okay. Avatar, The Last Airbender, The Search, number three of three. Nickelodeon is the publisher on that one. Jean Luen Yang on the writing. Guri Hiro on the art. So another rap on a tale as the final fate of Zuko's mother becomes known. Honestly, it's a bit anticlimactic as there are suddenly so many balls in the air in this issue that it gets pushed to the side in some ways. It's not a bad story at all, to be fair, and the spirit world connection is handled pretty neatly, and, and actually the, the whole story kind of holds together and makes sense, but I wish there'd been a little bit less going on here while we learn the truth behind such an important mystery from the original show. Um, three stars. I liked it. On the other hand, Mara, number six of six from Image, Brian Wood writing Ming Doyle on the art. Um, I'm not sure where this title ran off the rails, but it never quite lived up to its hype, let alone its promise becoming more of a parable than a story and pushing its protagonist around like a chess piece. Uh, when we left the last issue, Mara, having achieved godlike powers, was prepared in vengeance to drop all of the world's nuclear arsenal on the planet. Um, she doesn't and then spends the rest of the issue deciding whether humanity is worth saving, which, as a monologue, gets old kind of fast. Um, ho-hum, glad the decision finally got made by the end. Uh, one star, I just really didn't like it. Um, and no intention of collecting this one um, all in a, in a trade paperback. Pretty Deadly, number one from Image. Kelly Sue DeConnick on the writing, Emma Rios on the art. Uh, it's a muddy, menacing, magical Old West, complete with death falling in love and his daughter becoming a huge human agent of vengeance. Um, it's got rough-and-tumble art and a story full of odd characters that's difficult to quite get a good grasp on, um, at least in a single issue, but it's a decent read, and I am uh, waiting for issue number two to come out. So, three stars. I liked it. Rocket Girl, number one from Image, uh, Brandon Montclair writing, Amy Reader on the art, Times Squared. This is one of those rare comics that comes out and just makes you smile with how fun it is. Uh, Dayong Johansson is a 15-year-old from the New York Teen Police Department, time-traveling from a glorious future to the past to keep something awful from happening. 
The trick here is the past she's returning to is the grungy New York City of 1986 and her bright, shiny, high-tech, lovely future complete with flying cars and jetpacks and teen police is the year 2013. Even with that menacing note, it's just an exuberant riot of a book, not to mention a lovely cover. Definitely worth picking it up. I've been giving this one five stars. I thought it was amazing. Some quicker reviews of independent comics. Three stars. These were uh, ones that I liked. Activity, number 15, from Image. Archer and Armstrong, number 14, from Valiant. Invincible, number 106, from Image. Red Sonja, number 4, from Dynamite. The Shadow, Year 1, number 6, from Dynamite. Thief of Thieves, number 17, from Image. And four stars. Um, I liked these a lot. Hero Bear and the Kid, The Inheritance, number 3 of 5, from Kaboom. Invincible Universe, number 7, from Image. Jupiter's Legacy, number 3, from Image. Red Team, number 5, from Dynamite. Saga, number 15, from Image. Sidekick, number 3, from Image. And Uncanny, number 4, from Dynamite. A lot of Image, a lot of Dynamite there. Finally, some named reviews. We'll start with the best kid-friendly title, Amekami Girls, number 8, from DC. Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray writing. Adam Archer and Stephen Cummings on the art. This odd little title of Western anime-style superheroines in an old-school DC Universe variant where all of the super-powered types are female has been just a lot of fun, more than I expected. Uh, the revisioning of all these characters has been interesting, deviating from old canon at unexpected moments, and kicking the whole idea that superheroes really have to be male in the butt. This issue has Big Barda, White Canary, and Mira from Atlantis, and as in previous issues, established some nice long-term plot lines to go along with the one-off stories. Alas, it was also the last issue, as DC clearly doesn't need a kid-friendly or girl-friendly or generally-friendly comic book title. Ah oh, well, there's another two or three bucks I don't, or three or four bucks I don't need to be spending on them. Four stars. I liked it a lot. Um, find some back issue collections, trade paperbacks of this title, and share them with your kids. The best cover in the last couple of months: The Shadow, number eighteen from Dynamite. Chris Robertson writing, Giovanni Timpano on the art, and Alex Ross on the cover. This particular storyline in The Shadow has been uh, really. Um, fun and interesting one, as an equally homicidal Avenger comes to New York City, a young woman named The Light. But while the Shadow seeks justice for those who have committed crimes, The Light seeks punishment in advance for those who are sinful. Watching the two of them, with Timpano's compact and efficient efficient art, arguing back and forth over their mutual philosophies, even as they match pistols against swords and light against darkness, could be worthy of mocking, but it works quite neatly in Chris Robertson's hands. Um, and I just loved the cover for this issue, courtesy of the best painter in the comics world, Alex Ross. Very, very nice. Four stars. I liked it a lot. The best comic I read over the last couple of months. This was a tough one, because there were some really good ones uh, I've already talked about here. But I'm going to have to give this one to a title that's been one of my favorites, Rachel Rising, number 20, from Abstract, Terry Moore, writing and artist. We've got evil priests, we've got murderers with Jack of the Ripper's knife, we've got the dead rising, we've got witchcraft trials, we've got spirits accidentally transmigrating into dogs, we've got demonic possession, we've got... Wait, dogs? Really? Moore is just all over the map in this series, and this issue, uh, both fascinating and terrible and amusing results by turn. This is really a hell of a series, and this issue, while busy, demonstrates why. Definitely worth buying in collected format, because each individual issue, to be honest, 
tells almost too small a piece of the story to be able to, to follow along. I'm still going to give this one five stars. I thought it was amazing. And that, as they say, is that. Thank you for listening to this podcast on my homepage, which you can find through the wonders of looking up Dave Does the Comics on Google. You can see all the lovely covers for all these lovely comic books and leave comments on the podcast. I can be reached by comments there or tweeted at 3 underscore star underscore Dave. You can also find my trade paperback and graphic novel reviews at goodreads.com, the Dave Hill who's in Inglewood, Colorado. I always welcome your feedback, especially your suggestions for books I should try. Two bits of news, comic-related, that I want to share with you. One, looks like I'm finally going to make the shift from paper to digital, uh, at least when it comes to monthly comics. It's not 100% certain, but early experimentation on comicsology is looking promising. Uh, the main motivation for me is that I'm just adding long boxes to my basement at way too high a rate, and stacks of comics hither and thither in my house are simply not adding to my joie de vivre. Um, I still plan on buying collections in dead tree format, since that remains a better way, I think, for rereading and for sharing. But for monthly pulls, going to digital seems to be the way to go, with all due regrets toward and guilt regarding my wonderful local comic book store, uh, Lynn Moulton, the proprietor at Mile High Comics in Littleton, Colorado. But what about that local comic book store discount? Well, that's not a bad question, and I have considered that, since digital discounts for new comics are few and far between, except that the flexibility to stop a subscription quickly and painlessly, rather than with a three-month pre-order lag and a less-than-friendly order-changing mechanism, that flexibility is going to let me cut down on buying comics that I'm really not interested in getting anymore, including some of the ones I mentioned in today's podcast, and that I simply don't want to have them continue to trail in for the, for the next X number of months, uh, assuming that I got around to uh, canceling them. Of course... With those cost savings, I also have to consider that I might need to buy a tablet to uh, make it convenient to read these digital comics. Which brings me to my second announcement. This is, sadly, the final issue of Dave Does the Comics. I've enjoyed doing these podcasts a lot, and I've gotten some great feedback from people since I started them in July 2011. But the time to get the comics sorted together, the reviews put together, the covers collected, etc., Honestly, life's just too busy right now and for the foreseeable future to do the job I want to do or to give it the priority that it should have. So what's the alternative? Well, my commitment to you guys is that I will keep doing some ongoing comic reviews only in text, maybe a little bit more freshly and a little bit more frequently. I'll be posting them on my blog, Google Dave does the blog, in the comics category. Uh, I hope to see you there. So once again, and for a final time, thanks to all of you. I hope you've enjoyed this ah, 26 minutes out of your life. Thanks once again, and as Stanley is so fond of saying, Excelsior. Excelsior.